I have you loud and clear. <laughs> Hello. 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 Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Science. And that is to say, physics, medicine, nature, or space, time, the brain, life, the universe. Hello, you're listening to The Naked Scientist, the show that brings you the latest breakthroughs in science and technology. I'm Adam Murphy. And I'm Phil Sansom. And this week, lockdown may be easing, but the pubs still haven't flung open their doors yet. So we're bringing a little of the pub to you with a Naked Scientist pub quiz. That's right. It's a Q&A show with a difference tonight, as you'll be the ones answering the questions. Us Naked Scientists love a pub quiz, so we thought we'd put our listeners' brains to the test. Adam and I will be your quiz masters coming up our three rounds, and you're going to get the answers at the end of each. So, pens at the ready. The Naked Scientist podcast is powered by UKfast.co.uk. Playing alongside you this week down the line are chemist Liliana Frook. And we've got astronomer Matt Bothwell. Also on the line is mental health expert Olivia Reams. And of course, AI aficionado Beth Singler. So, first up, Liliana, you've been with us a few times. How do you feel about quizzes and what can you bring to the table with your expertise, do you think? Hi, Adam. Hi, Phil. Nice to be with you again. I really, I mean, I failed several times in some of the quizzes in making scientists, but I am totally primed to be answering and helping out today. Brilliant. And and in your research vein, what is it that you, you look into? Yes. Yeah, so, I, I am a chemist, so I work also on some natural dyes that can be used as photocatalysts. I work on nanotechnology. So how do you make a really tiny particles do wonderful things? And how do we design materials that can be used in medicine? Amazing. And then, Matt, you're with us as well. How do you tend to do in a pub quiz? Any particular areas of expertise? Um, I'm I'm not too bad. Again, I, I, I don't want to brag, but I have an uninterrupted un- string of defeats uh, on the Naked Scientist oh, wow. uh, quiz. <laughs> Lovely. Great so to I'm, hear. I'm, I'm hoping to continue this strong showing today. Your, your partner is uh, looking forward to being paired with you then, I take it. Uh, wh- whoever it is is a very lucky person. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? What do you tend to look into? Research-wise, I study galaxies, so looking way back in time to the early universe and looking at like baby galaxies, basically, so looking at the, the first galaxies that form way back billions of years ago, the dawn of time, and then kind of figuring out what physical processes change those baby galaxies into, into the big grown-up galaxies that we see nowadays. And how do you go about looking at that kind of thing? I'm an observational astronomer, which means I use telescopes, radio telescopes normally, so like long wavelength lights, which probes the gas in these galaxies. So gas in, in outer space, gas in galaxies, is like the fuel for future star formation. So when you study the gas in these galaxies, you can get a sense of like how they're behaving, what the physics are, how fast they're forming stars. And those are like important things to plug into your models that describe uh, how galaxies evolve over time. Amazing. Well, we'll be looking forward to chatting with you as well, Matt, coming up soon. Now, Olivia Reams, fantastic to have you with us for the quiz. Tell, tell us, do you have a competitive streak yourself? 
Well, you know, I have to say that after listening to the answers of uh, the other participants, I also must say that I have not been very good, <laughs> even though even though I may, you know, I, I always want to do as best as I can. I have not been very good at any of the Naked Scientist quizzes, but let's hope that today, you know, t- today's a new day. So who knows, my luck may be changing. Well, we, we do pitch our quizzes pretty hard here on the Naked Scientist. You're at sort of a university challenge <laughs> level, level of hardness, I would say. So I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, tell us about your particular field of interest, because you're a psychologist, correct? That's right. Yeah, my area is psychology and mental health. And I look at depression and anxiety and how uh, people can become resilient. You know, I look at, uh, well, what are some of the things that makes us have poor mental health? And this is so important now during the coronavirus. And that has been one of the things that a lot of people have been struggling with, these feelings of anxiety and depression and teaching people coping strategies. So how they can overcome that. And I think it's great because there are things that you can do from the comfort of your own home to improve your mental health. Are you going to use any of these resilience strategies to give you mental resilience today to last you through this quiz? Absolutely. I have a whole arsenal of things, you know, (laughs) whole toolkits to pull from. So the other contestants better be, you know, they better be prepared. Well, let's move to another of those contestants. In fact, it's Beth Singler. Beth, so good to have you back on the show. Oh, tell really us. great to be back on. Thank you. Tell us, remind us, for, for those who haven't heard your pieces on our show before, what, what's your research back? I'm an expert on artificial intelligence, but I have to caveat that by saying I'm probably the least technologically adept person around. I am a, <laughs> a sneaky social scientist getting in undercover, but I'm an anthropologist who looks at people's understanding of artificial intelligence and how they interact with it and what kind of impact it's going to have on society as well. So I've had to be pretty well versed in what artificial intelligence is and can do, but I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a builder. Have you seen anything weird happen in this world since everyone was in lockdown at home, plenty of time to code various computer software? Has anything weird come out of this? Well, yeah, there's lots of reports that our current AI systems, the quite narrow intelligences that we have, are really struggling to deal with a world where we don't behave in the usual way. I mean, everyone knows this from their experience of buying things online, the expectations we build up through our purchases that they're now struggling to understand why we want so many toilet rolls at the beginning of lockdown and <laughs> still reproducing this idea that perhaps we want more and more toilet rolls. So the, I, I'm the nature... struggling to understand that one myself, to be honest. <laughs> well, there was always going to be necessary at some point, but I think we sort of algorithms, they, they take rubbish in, they push rubbish out. So if we constantly tell them we want one thing, they're only going to reproduce those ideas. So, so what's your plan for the quiz? Take rubbish in, push rubbish out or take... <laughs> Solid quite, winning quite answers often in. my responses will be rubbish. Um, in, in the normal circumstances of a pub quiz, I, I think I'm usually the person there who only supplies the inf- interesting name for the team, and I'm completely struggling to come up with any today. So I doubt I'll come up with any good answers either. Okay, well, if you think of a good name, <laughs> let us know. Update us as we go along. But mm-hmm. thanks to all of our contestants. Welcome all. Welcome, everyone. So first of all, obviously, I should give the team. So we have team one is going to be Liliana and Matt. So Liliana, you've been lucky enough to be paired with Matt. And team two is going to be Olivia and Beth. So Phil, are you ready with our all important scorecard? Oh, boy, am I ready. I've oh. written team one. I've written team two. I've put a line down the middle. I couldn't be ready. Yeah, what, what more could you want for a scorekeeper? Right. It is time for round one. And for this first round, we'll be giving you three clues 
all about a famous person in science. For this round, the scoring is going to work. If you get it after the first clue, we're going to give you two points. If you get it after the second clue, you only get one point. And if you get it after the third clue, you get that all-important half a point. But if you don't get it, even after clue three, or give us the wrong answer, we'll let the other team have a crack and see if they can get it. Liliana and Matt, you're getting our first question, read out by Eva. Are you, are you ready to go? Ready. I am ready. Brilliant. Okay, so here is clue one. I was asked to be the president of Israel in 1952. So I asked to be the president of Israel. Any ideas? Yes. Uh, Is it Albert Einstein? That was going to be my guess as well. So is that what you're going with? You're going with Albert Einstein? Are you you going to give me an answer? Yeah, I I don't know for sure, but that would have been my guess. If it was your instinct, then I think we'd go for it, yeah. Risky taking a shot after clue one. Let's see if that was it. Well done. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Right in at the first question. No one I put that to. Got that as the right answer. So I'm I'm fairly astounded by that. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's such a serendipity that I was reading yesterday an anecdote about Albert Einstein. And there was a little bit of a mention about his musings on being a president. <laughs> and that's why this is probably what made me think of this. Just, just right in there, <laughs> knocking my hard question out of the park right at the first gate. Well, brilliant. So that is... Two points right away to Matt and Liliana. So we're going to move on now. We're going to go to team two, which is Beth and Olivia. Are you ready for your first voice Who Am I round? I'm not sure we can live up to, to that. Standard, but <laughs> I know. I, yeah, I feel a bit intimidated too. <laughs> right. Oh, well, we will see how well you do with this first question about a second Who Am I? I was born on Christmas Day in 1642. So a Christmas baby. And and before everyone gets at me on Twitter, that is the Julian calendar, so the one we don't use today. What do you think? Any any ideas of Christmas baby scientist? 1642. Uh, I could give you another clue if you want to see. Shall we shall we take another clue? Yeah, I think I think that's the way to go. Okay. Right out. So I will give you your next clue, which is Some of my light experiments involved staring at the sun for hours to see what would happen. And uh, I should emphasise that naked scientists in no way recommend staring at the sun for hours to see what <laughs> will happen. It, it is very bad. Oh, no, I'm not really sure. I want to say Newton because he did experiments with light and rainbows and prisms. But my my sense of history is so poor. I may be like a century or two out. <laughs> what do you think? Is it, you- is it three clues that we get? Oh, there's one more coming up if you want yeah, to. Yeah, that takes us one down more to coming Yeah, let's, let's take the third one. Righto, right right then. Third clue coming up. I have a unit of force and many laws named after me. Oh, okay. Then I think it is Newton because there is a Newton as a force unit, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's go with Newton. Okay, so we are going with Newton on clue three and... <laughs> well done. That is it. Should have trusted your instincts. You were right I after... Know. Right so after yeah. number two. Can give you a virtual high five. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I'm doing. I'm doing my half. Yeah. yeah, there you go. A, a socially okay. distanced high five through a computer screen. Team Spirit <laughs> on team two is absolutely knocking out the park. <laughs> that is the first one down, and I think we know how these questions are going to work. Back to Liana and Matt. We have another "Who Am I" for you, and in this one, we're going a bit different. So I'm just going to read them, and the first one is. This British paleontologist was born in 1913. Oh, um, Matt, do you have any uh, guesses? 
I mean, I don't know many paleontologists. <laughs> yeah, uh, full Same stop. Here. I think there is. I I have a vague memory of there being a famous uh, lady who dug for fossils down on the south coast and discovered dinosaurs, but I, I think she might have been earlier. I'm basically drawing a, a complete blank. I'm sorry. So shall shall we go with Q two? I yeah. I think so. Clue number two is that across her career, she also discovered fifteen different species of animals. So mad! Uh, I think it is the lady. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling stumped. so hard to. I each. I, I. So will we, shall I? Shall I give you the third clue? See if see if that jogs any memories. I I think so. I don't think I'm going to come up with it on my own. I'm afraid. Right up number three. Her most famous discovery might be the Laetoli footprints in Tanzania. <gasps> any names there? I heard. I heard. A, I heard a gasp from Lilia. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I, th- I think it's Mary something. I, wa- I want to say, I'd, oh, this is like drudging my memory. Mary, yeah, Mary, Mary, Mary. I don't know that many Mary, 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 Marys, but y- you might need a you I, might need a surname. Okay, I, I would. I'll just go with a single Mary, Mary Atwood or something. Maybe I, okay. I don't know. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm afraid that's not it. What about over there on team two? Have you got any ideas to who that might be? No. <laughs> right. Yeah, a bit. A bit um, oh gosh, I'm scraping my brain, but I can't seem to recall. Yeah. Okay. No. Well, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to close that one down, and I'll, I'll put you all out of your misery and say that that one was Mary Leakey. So those footprints oh. she found—they're three point seven million years old, and they're the first evidence that humans were bipedal and can walk on two legs. Mm. Matt, I think you were reaching for Mary Anning, who was the the Victorian paleontologist. Oh, that's probably who I was thinking of, yeah. (laughs) No points there on that question. Right, well, uh, team two, Olivia and Beth, Mm -hmm. let's go back to you. I'm going to give you three clues. Clue number one, this West Virginian mathematician was born in 1918. Who am I talking about? 1918. That's when the First World War ended. Virginian mathematician. Shall I give you clue number two? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. <laughs> number two, John Glenn would refuse to go to space unless she'd checked the numbers. Ah, uh, okay. So, someone from the film Hidden Figures, possibly. I'm trying to remember any names. Mm. Uh, mathematician, female. No, they're all just completely gone from my mind. I'll, I'll tell you what, the third clue isn't going to help you much. I'm going nope, to give it sorry. It's, the clue is she was played by Taraji P. Henson in the 2016 film Hidden Figures. There so you go. So you're going to hate I me for get, that. I can get a no prize for knowing there's a film about her, but <laughs> I can't recall her name. Oh, that's so bad. I have seen the film. No. Well, let, let's throw it over to team one in that case. Matt or Liliana, any ideas? Yeah, I think yeah, it was Catherine uh, Johnson, right? Yes, I agree. I agree. Was it Catherine Johnson? Yes. All right, let's give half a point to Team One. Well done, guys. Ooh, just swooping in and taking it away there. Beth Singler, I really am sorry. I can understand that tip of the tongue feeling. (laughs) Let's redeem it in the next few questions. Matt and Liliana, last question of this round. Last, Last, who am I? And your first clue is, this physicist had a particular fondness for pigeons. Oh, oh, I know. Uh, Matt, I think this is Nikola Tesla. Oh. And you know why I I probably know that? Because he was born in Croatia and I'm Croatian. 
So we know a lot about Nikola Tesla. And I remember recalling that he was living in New York and he had the ritual of going out and feeding pigeons. So everybody thought that he's very eccentric. You happy to go with that? Yeah, I, I, I would never have guessed this by myself, but you, you saying this uh, rings a bell. And yeah, you hit it out of the park with Einstein. So yeah, absolutely. I will trust Righto. you implicitly. We'll see if it's Nikola Tesla. Wow. Yeah. Uh, is Bravo. absolutely smashing this round. I think I hopefully you would have gotten it if, if at the last round when I said, you know, he was a brand of electric cars. I think maybe that would have yeah. given it away. I wasn't expecting anything on the first one. Well done there. Nice job. Um, it's really it's really a little bit of serendipity, you know, that there are all of this, a little bit of an eccentric physicist involved. Yeah, brilliant. Well, kind of... well done to you two, and we'll move on to Team 2's last question now. All right, Beth and Olivia, here we go. Clue number one. This mathematician had a deep, deep revulsion of beans. <laughs> beans? Beans or beans? Beans. I heard beans. Beans, refried kidney variety. Uh... Right, so he's been like eating them. Oh, I'm so tempted to say Alan Turing, but I'm just wondering how, when, when this mathematician lived, or how long ago. Yeah, we might, question we might need two might clue. help you with that. <laughs> Shall I give you question two? <laughs> clue two, I should say. This is clue number two. He was born around 570 BC. <laughs> it's definitely not Alan Turing. <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I think that's ringing a bell. Um, 570 BC. Is it Archimedes? Maybe. I'm trying to remember all my like ancient Greek people. I'm going to have to yeah. press you. Shall we move on or shall I accept that answer? Um, can we have the last? Yeah, clue? go on. All right. Every school child knows his name for his work with triangles. Uh, I, yeah, oh. I know it. Pythagoras. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Pythagoras. <laughs> Congratulations. That was not an easy thank one, you. and you tried. Very well done. Thank God for clue number three. Yeah, <laughs> always bet like on clue number three. A lot, though, because I didn't know about his relationship with beans, so that's a, that's a good. Oh no, of course, because he—that's how they killed him. Well, that brings us to the end, everyone, of round one. Hello, sorry to butt in. Katie here from the Naked Scientists. Did you know we make other naked shows too? The fraction of all humanity who has actually gotten a chance to see their own brain is very tiny and you are welcomed to that club. So if you enjoy musing over the mind, reflecting on thought or frankly feel bamboozled by the brain, check out Naked Neuroscience. Well, my face hurts now, so yeah, let's go with spicy. (laughs) Don't go down into the creepy cellar and turn the light on. (laughs) Exactly. Access the full archive via nakedscientist.com slash neuroscience or subscribe to Naked Neuroscience wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Naked Scientist with Adam Murphy and me, Phil Sansom. Today, we're getting stuck into a Naked Scientist science pub quiz. So do join in at home. How did you do in round one? Let us know. Tweet at Naked Scientists. And playing along down the line are super chemist Liliana Fruk, AI expert Beth Singler from Cambridge University, astro aficionado Matt Bothwell, also from Cambridge University, and mental health expert Olivia Reams, a Cambridge University-focused panel. We're just at around one. How did they do? I feel Liliana had some uh, home runs there. Yeah, thanks to a few home runs from Liliana. It's four and a half points to team one, one point to team two. 
really smashing it along. Let's push on with uh, round number two. But before we get there, forum user Crimp 8 asked, if electrons are negative and protons are positive and opposites attract, why don't electrons crash into the nucleus of an atom? Answering a listener question, luckily, we know just the person. It's Liliana. She tackled this one for us. Yeah. So, I mean, it's extremely interesting question, of course, because, you know, this is how we would imagine if we imagined an electron as a negatively charged particle hitting the positively charged nucleus. But we can't look at the electron as the conventional classical particle. It's a tiny particle. And it can't be treated as a classical particle that has a defined position and velocity, but rather as a diffuse cloud let's say, which is defined by quantum physics. And now without going into a quantum physics, we could also say that electron behaves like a wave. And as it gets, for example, closer to the nucleus, it gets confined in the smaller volume. And for that, we need to apply now the uncertainty principle that if you know a position of the electron, if it gets confined into the certain volume, we don't know really a momentum of the or the speed of this electron. But basically what happens if the electron gets closer to the nucleus, the wavelength of this electron gets shorter. The shorter wavelength means it has lots of energy. And there is a certain point of an electron being around the nucleus where this energy is going to be enough to overcome the attractive force from the nucleus. So basically, the energy, the huge energy of an electron will balance the attractive force of the nucleus. And so the electron is going to be diffused as a cloud around the nucleus, but it's never going to fall into it. Wow. So basically we need to stop treating or thinking about the electron as a classical particle, you know, that which is moving in the circles around the nucleus. But we need to think that there are some quantum physics rules that apply to it. There you go. Some introductory quantum mechanics. Thank you so much, Liliana. And you'll be hearing from a few more of our lovely contestants as they take on more listener questions later in the show. But time now for round two. This round is called Animals. So, Team 1, Liliana and Matt, here's your question. Humans have three color receptors in our eyes, one for blue, one for red, one for green. The mantis shrimp is thought to have the most color receptors, though, of any animal. How many different color receptors does it have? Is it A, 12, or B, 6? What do you think? Okay. Matt, (laughs) any ideas? I just know that there are many... (laughs) <laughs> there are many. So, yeah, I remember, I remember hearing it was more. Yeah. I think it's 12. I, th- I think it's 12. I remember it being like significantly more. Should we go with yes, 12? Yeah, let's go with 12. Yes, very well done. 12 is the answer. However, they're not actually as good as us at distinguishing between closely related colors because of a quirk in how those receptors work. They can differentiate orange and yellow, not the shades between. Well done. Two points. Right now, Olivia and Beth, your question Due to some cross-wiring in the brain of the circadian rhythm and the trigeminal nerve, a rooster is only able to crow in the morning. True or false? Uh, I mean, I've only heard roosters crow in the morning, so 
just mm. based off of experience, I'm tempted to say true. But what do you think, Beth? I, I think I feel like we have got some roosters near, but I think I've heard them at different times. But I don't know. It sounds more scientifically plausible than they can do it any time. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna That's need to press yeah, you for an answer. So. Yeah, we'll go with true. I'm afraid not that is me googling random science words and putting them on a page to see what would happen so despite what we've led to believe by storybooks roosters will crow pretty much whenever they feel like it when they've been fed when they're warning other roosters or even to celebrate success with a lady chicken they will crow just because they feel like it I am afraid no points there Right, over to team one. Back to you, Liliana and Matt. Now, here's a couple of questions that you won't find in most pub quizzes. This is from a recent paper published by Kamiloglu et al. at the University of Amsterdam, showing that humans can actually actually, uh, accurately tell what a chimpanzee is doing from listening to the sounds they make. So, I ask you, what is this chimp doing here? All right, you've got multiple choice. Was it (laughs) (laughs) discovering something scary, discovering a large source of food, being refused access to food, or being attacked by another chimp? Oh wow! (laughs) I think. Can we hear the sound once again? No. Yeah, yeah. Can we? Absolutely. Of course, you can. (laughs) So, what's that chimp up to? I, (laughs) I, I. I've never felt more like I was guessing than right now. I feel like there's a there's an element of kind of wistful frustration in there somewhere. So I yes. reckon maybe C. What do you Ref- think? Yes. Refused access to food? I also, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of also think that there is a kind of uh, frustration in it. Yeah. So, yeah, we go with... Oh. Oh. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was A, discovering a large food source. So, nice try. <gasps> And now over to Olivia and Beth. I have another chimp here for you. What is this chimp up to? So is that chimp being separated from its mother, eating high value food, threatening an aggressive chimp or being tickled? <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's something more aggressive and something a little bit more. Um, I don't know. He sounds a little bit angry. Yeah, and it's quite low as well, not like a baby sound. So, yeah, I'd probably go with the aggression one. There was an aggression one. Okay, so threatening yeah, that an aggressive chimp. Not a, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I'm afraid that that particular chimp is being tickled. And I knew that because I, I don't know about anyone else, but I happen to make quite a similar noise when I'm being tickled. So. So I'm afraid no points all around on those set of questions. On to the next ones, Phil. Well, well, team one, Liliana and Matt, tell me which of these four is the only insect that lives year-round in Antarctica? Is it A, the Antarctic ant, B, the Antarctic midge, C, the Antarctic beetle, or D, the Antarctic lice? What do you think? So it was ant, midge, beetle, or, or yeah, louse. Or louse. Um, I would imagine it would be midge because then they could fly and not have to walk around on the cold ground. I don't know if that's really stupid or not. What do you? <laughs> yeah, my yeah, vote would be midge just good... on that basis. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think this your explanation also makes sense. Hooray! <laughs> Excellent. Judge by that correct answer, buzzer. It is indeed the Antarctic midge. Uh, let's go to team two. 
Team 2. We have four animal names here for you, and they are all, in some way or another, except for one, a lie. So which of these animal names isn't a lie? Is it the electric eel, the mantis shrimp, the flying fox, or the chicken turtle? Those are all <laughs> real animals, but all of them have lies in their name, bar one. Honestly, the last one sounds to me like a lie. Just the name of it, it just made me laugh. <laughs> chicken turtle. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of the most amusing one. Okay, so chicken turtle is the answer, and... <laughs> I have to dispute oh, that because I You are right. I pressed the wrong button there. Hang on, let me give you let me do that right. <laughs> yeah, Yay. absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Phil, for pulling me up on that. It is the chicken turtle, but maybe not for the reason you think. It's called that because apparently it tastes like chicken. An electric eel is actually a kind of knife fish. A flying fox is a bat, it's not a fox. And a mantis shrimp, while related to shrimp, is neither a shrimp nor a mantis. Good good work on that one, despite my incorrect buzzer pressing. The Naked Scientists podcast is produced in association with Spitfire. Cost-effective voice, internet and IP engineering services for UK businesses. Find out how Spitfire can empower your company at spitfire.co.uk. Music in the programme is sponsored by Epidemic Sound. Perfect music for your audio and video productions. You're listening to The Naked Scientist with me, Adam Murphy, and with Phil Sansom. Right now, we are indulging in a science pub quiz that you can join in at home if you like. If you're playing along and want to share how you're doing, we're at Naked Scientists on Twitter. We have got four willing victims, contestants, I mean, and friends of the show playing along down the line. Chemist Liliana Frook, mental health expert Olivia Reams, AI researcher Beth Singler, and astronomer Matt Bothwell. In the last round, we talked about animals and what they're feeling. Uh, But what about people? Olivia, we've gotten this one in from a listener who says, how might lockdown be affecting our mental health? And can we take any steps to help? What What do you think? Can you answer? Yes, we absolutely can. Our mental health has been affected because of the lockdown. It is still being affected, but there are things that we can do. And the first thing that a lot of people have been experiencing during this lockdown is this loss of meaning and purpose. A lot of people, you know, we've all been working from home. Each day seems to be the same. Nothing new is happening. Nothing to look forward to because we don't have something to look forward to. That, that vision, it's kind of making us lose this meaning and purpose. And it's so important to get it back. And there was this interesting study that was done by Viktor Frankl, you know, this famous neurologist. He used to work with prisoners of war. And he noticed that the key, the one key difference between those prisoners who survived and those who didn't was whether or not they had meaning and purpose in their lives. So how can we get that meaning and purpose back? Or if you don't, feel like you have it, then how can you develop it? Well, one of the things that you can do is to find something that you're passionate about or find a task that you think you would enjoy working on or even just a project, you know, and make regular progress on it, even if it's for 45 minutes each day, because this can really make a significant difference to your mental health. It can get that meaning and purpose back when you know that you're working towards something. The other thing is we've been stuck inside so much and we haven't really had much of a chance to engage with other people, to connect with others. So our minds have become prone to wandering, mind wandering, to daydreaming. You know, we're stuck inside with our thoughts. Our minds are running away. But 
what is interesting is that the more we daydream, the more our minds wander, the more prone we are to depression and to poor mental health. People don't really think about that. That's why I think it's quite an interesting finding because ruminating and thinking a lot about things can actually predispose you to depression and mental health problems. So what is the antidote to that? Well, focus on your present task. This pulls you out of your thoughts and it it makes you focus on the present moment. That's this idea now, of mindfulness, isn't mm-hmm. it, Olivia? But absolutely, absolutely. Th- thank, yeah. thank you so much. I'm, I'm afraid we best move on, but some great tips that certainly I'm going to take home. Hopefully listeners will as well. And we'll be doing a few more of those listener questions later in the show. But now it's time to do our own check-in with our four contestants. How are we doing? Liliana, let me ask you. Yes. How's it going? Mm-hmm. Have any questions stumped you so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They were really, really great because, you know, sometimes I consider the pop quizzes also to be a wonderful way to learn something. So, you know, it has been really, really nice to learn so many new things. That's great to hear. Of course, Liliana has been knocking it out of the park so far this hour. That might help. But Matt, how are you doing? Are you holding up under the pressure? I'm holding up really well. Yeah, I think if you've, it turns out the key to breaking my string of defeats is being carried by a superior teammate. It's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Olivia, how are you feeling? Yeah, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Nice, nice. And Beth, are you ready for round three? Ready to keep going? Oh, absolutely. Bring it on. Brilliant. That that is exactly the kind of thing we like to hear. Okay, for the final round, we are going to we are going to what's in a name. We're giving you some name things. And just before, just so we know the stakes, Phil, can you remind us as we go into the final round? What the scores are. All right, Adam. Scores on the doors. It is three points to team two, but eight and a half points to team one. Oof. There is there is room to come back. Yes. How, however, a lot of points going to fly around in round three. Yeah. So please don't assume the game is over. Yeah, absolutely not. Let's let's keep going like like we can all win it because we can actually. And starting with the first question, Liliana and Matt, this is for you. What language do we get the word robot from? Is it Croatian, French, Czech, or Dutch? Oh. Um, it's. Uh, I want to. Uh, I, I know it means. I, I remember it means slave. I think it's a Slavic yeah. language. So like Czech, it is maybe. Slavic, and I can. I can say that it's not Croatian. I would know about that. So oh, the then, then Czech. It's, oh. it's probably Czech. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, it means slave, right? Absolutely. It is Czech and it was coined in the 1920s by playwright Karol Kapek, who introduced it in his hit play. And it comes from an old Slavonic word, robota, which means forced labour. So not, not quite slave, but also not nice either. So well done on the points there for you two. Team two, uh, Beth and Olivia, we've got a multiple choice question for you as well. Tell me, which field of science did the word meme, like internet meme, of course, originally come from? Was it A, evolutionary biology, B, computer science, C, archaeology, or D, astronomy? Uh, Sorry, my memory is so bad. What was the list again? It was evolutionary biology, computer science, archaeology, or astronomy. Okay, because I think it came from semantics, but um, I guess the closest is computer science. Olivia, any thoughts? 
Um, absolutely no thoughts at all. So I'm happy to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> is is that a final answer then, Beth? Is it computer science? I mean, it's a spin. Yeah, it's it's complicated. I wrote a whole book chapter on um, the meme, so <laughs> it's it's a bit more complicated than any of those four. But yeah, I go for computer science, and I suppose it's the closest to semantics. <laughs> well. Given that you've written a book about it, you may be about to correct us. But what we have is evolutionary biology coined by Richard Dawkins from The Selfish Gene. His it kind of predates book. him a little bit. It, does, it comes from some other ideas. It, there's a variation called Mimeme before meme. And yes, Dawkins. Yeah, anyway, it's complicated. It doesn't oh, matter. It's fine. Hang on. I'm not sure we can take away any points for that, given that Beth did actually know. Given we have an expert who's actively correcting us. Yeah. At, yeah. <laughs> I think we have to give them honorary points for that at the very least. Absolutely. All right. Thank well you. done. N- knowing far more than we did about that question. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Team one, for your next question, one of my favorite things anyway is that animals tend to have some weird names when they come in groups. So you have a pride of lions, for example, but it gets a lot weirder. Your question is, which of these groups of animals comes in what's called a smack? Is it rhinos, wolves, or jellyfish? <laughs> wow. It's a not wolves, isn't it, Matt? No, like, no, wolves a is a, a pack, it's right? A pack. Yeah. R- rhinos, and wolves, or jellyfish? Okay, here's, here's my thinking. I I think it's so obviously rhinos. It, the answer is jellyfish. Like I think I think rhinos is is a trick. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You think? Should we? I I, I, I think that's my how these feeling is think. saying a rhino as well. My feeling is saying a rhino. My instinct's going jellyfish, but you've been right a lot so far, so I'm happy to defer to you. <laughs> so are we going rhinos? I, I might be wrong. Oh, let's okay, go. We'll yeah. go with rhinos then. Oh, sorry, I am afraid oh, Matt okay. had my exact thinking when I was putting this question together is that I was trying to trick you with rhinos. So as you said, <laughs> wolves come in a pack, but rhinos come in what's called a crash of rhinos. So I'm afraid no points on oh. that round for the two of you. All right, team two, this is your chance. What's the word for a group of peacocks? Is it a parliament, a flamboyance or an ostentation? Ooh. I'm definitely tempted between the first or second option. I feel mm. like it's not the third one. Ooh, what do we mean? Flamboyant? I mean, they are very flamboyant. <laughs> They're also yeah. quite ostentatious. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you think between the first two. Yeah. Actually, um, what, what are the first two choices again? Just lost them. It, it was a parliament, a flamboyance, or an ostentation. You know, I feel like I've heard Parliament before, but I don't know if it's in relation to peacocks. Can we get the second clue? Uh, th- that's that's your only clue, I'm afraid. You've got <laughs> oh, to only answer based on that. And I'm going to have to press you oh, for no. an answer. Let's go for the, the similar uh, starting continent then, uh, Parliament. All parliament right. it is. <laughs> I think you had a fact in your mind, and the fact is a Parliament of Owls. So ah. very impressed that you got that. But unfortunately, what it is, is an ostentation and a flamboyance. Oh. Interestingly, that's flamingos, which does make a lot of sense. I'm learning so much. So there is a town in Sweden and that town is called Itterby. It has four elements named after it. Can you name two of them? There's a half a point if you get one. Itterby. Uh, can, you, can you spell it? Or I guess... Maybe, yeah, maybe not. I don't know if that would help. I should 
I should know that. It's yeah, this is a chemistry question. There right? is ethereum. There it, is definitely ethereum. Do you have it's a second one? one? Unfortunately not. Isn't there, isn't, isn't there an element that sounds really similar? It's like, it's, it's her, there's a terbium and there's like, is there one that's just like yttrium or something? I'm sure there's mm. one that sounds like that. I am going to give you that because between the two of you, you got it. Yes, the town, spelling it would have given it away because it is Y-T-T-E-R-B-Y. And it's yttrium, yes. iterbium, uh. terbium, and erbium are all named after this one town. Uh. There's also scandium, thulium, holmium, and gadolinium are all discovered in the exact same quarry in this one town. So well done between wow. the two of you. You got there. All right. Uh, we're on to the last question of the game. Woohoo! So team two... <laughs> This is your question. Of the 19 chemical elements named after people, only two are named after women. Can you name them? And you'll get half points for getting just one of them. I'm afraid we will need to push you for an answer. (laughs) I don't know. Mm, Yeah, it's been so long since I've done chemistry. Yeah, me too. It goes back to high school chemistry. Gosh, I can only remember a few of the, you know, off the top of my head, a few of the elements. I've got a clue. I'll tell you what, I don't think we can throw this to Liliana and Matt because that would be a gimme for Liliana. That would be very not fair. <laughs> so I'm going to I tell you. a question about robots. <laughs> so we're, we're going to tell you that it's actually Curium for Marie Curie uh, and Meitnerium, mm-hmm. which I hadn't heard of, uh, for Lise Meitner. Well, well done, everyone. That is all the questions totted up. So we're going to let Phil add up the scores and see what happens. And before we do, let's have one or two more listener questions. And Matt, this one is from you on the forum. This is from Talonum1. And they ask, why isn't Jupiter all evenly mixed up? How come it's still got its stripes? Well, so it's because yeah, Jupiter is not a just a completely homogenous ball of stuff like the like the pressure and the temperature and all that kind of stuff varies over the surface of the planet, and so that's that's really what you're seeing. It's like it's 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 basically weather effects uh, on the surface of Jupiter. It's just that it's telling you that there's all kinds of different uh, pressures and temperatures and conditions around the surface. And how long like would it ever mix together given like all the time in the universe or is it always going to be this this stripy ball in space? No, it's it's always going to be a stripy ball. I mean, given that you, uh, Jupiter is about five billion years old, the same as the rest of the solar system, if it was going to reach some kind of equilibrium, it would have done so by now. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Matt. You're listening to The Naked Scientist with me, Adam Murphy, and with Phil Sansom. We are just about to reveal the winner of our science pub quiz. And on team one, we have chemist Liliana Frook and astronomer Matt Bothwell. On team two, mental health expert Olivia Reams and AI researcher Beth Singler. But before we get to that, here's another listener question that we've had in. This one's for you, Beth. It's your robot question. Sorry, it's taken so long. How could we know if an artificial intelligence is really intelligent? Can you, can you help uh, out with that one? Yeah, so lots of people have tried to come up with ways to show or describe or explain intelligence and specifically artificial intelligence. And we've mostly gone down the line of thinking there are ways to test for intelligence. And that really tells us more about what we think intelligence is 
than actually whether we'll be able to prove intelligence in an artificial entity or machine. I'm really quite fond of a, a quote from someone called Robert Walensky, who was a computer scientist working in AI at the very beginning. And he says that the very early scientists working on AI were mathematicians. And they looked around and they thought, well, we're smart. So if an artificial intelligence is going to be smart, it's going to be able to do the things we can do. And as mathematicians, they could basically prove theorems and play chess. So these same sorts of ideas are now constantly mapped onto what we think AI is going to be able to do to be smart. Whereas I think there might be something interesting in thinking about how an AI might work against uh, our assumptions and programming and be able to do things that are unexpected and unexplained, but also those could theoretically be programmed into it. So it's all very complicated, but I think it does tell us something very, very profound about why we think intelligence is measurable by being able to play chess really well or go very well or prove a theorem. So are, are there some underappreciated aspects of quote-unquote intelligence that you think people making these AIs need to pay more attention to or are starting to pay more attention to? Well, we're very aware um, that intelligence is embodied. Scientists look at cognition through embodiment. And as an anthropologist, as a social scientist, I see how intelligence is a relational thing that we have in communities through our human bodies. So increasingly, the speculations about how we develop actual human-like intelligence in machines would have to uh, require some sort of learning process within an embodied sensory system. And there's work going in that direction. Um, But to simply say you're intelligent if you can play chess very well, that that would make me a very not intelligent person. And I hope I am a relatively intelligent person, but I cannot play chess. So there, there are levels and standards that we have set for intelligence for our machines and our artificial intelligence, but we need to think about how it works in the whole. I'm entirely with you when it comes to chess. Thank you for that one, Beth. (laughs) Uh, This one's for you, Liliana. Let's return to you. Um, Our listener has asked, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between uh, phosphorus and phosphate, or or similarly, between sulfur and sulfates? So phosphorus and sulfur are elements. So these are chemical elements that have a particular atomic mass, the particular number of protons and electrons. Phosphates are salts of phosphoric acid, and phosphoric acid is obtained for phosphorus after the reaction with oxygen and water and certain processes. The same is with sulfates. Sulfates are salts of sulfuric acid. That said, it's an interesting question referred to phosphate and sulfate. Both are really, really important for functioning of our body, for example, phosphates are important as regulators of our metabolism. They are also very often used in fertilizers. The same thing with sulfur and sulfate. We could hardly imagine the world without sulfates. And actually now in this pandemic, we all use soap and we are encouraged to wash our hands. And one of the main ingredients of soap and soapy compounds is actually sodium laurate sulfate. So both elements and their salts are extremely important from metabolic point of view, but also from the industrial development point of view. It's amazing how this stuff ends up being just everywhere and so important. I mean, thanks for that one, Liliana. Let's just see if we can get Now that we're on an absolute roll, let's get a quick answer in from Matt Bothwell. Our listeners asked, if stars turn light elements into heavy ones, 
Our listener wants to know, does that mean there'll be no stars one day? Um, yeah, the answer is like a very resounding yes. I mean, so there's a bit of like a, a life cycle of galaxies, right, where they, they take gas, which is like the fuel for future stars, and then that gets squished down by gravity and turns into stars, and then stars then live their lives and then explode. And then normally, uh, you know, what happens is the, an exploding star might trigger more stars being formed in the future. But like the listener is absolutely right. It's like the, there's only so many times this can happen, right? Like there is only a certain amount of energy in, in the galaxy. There's only a certain amount of gas. Once it's all gone, it's all gone. And so the, the interesting thing is that I, th- I think from, from the perspective of the very, very distant future, stars might be seen as an, an artifact of the early universe, right? Uh, we know the universe is just going to carry on getting bigger and bigger and colder and colder into the very far distant future. And when the universe is made up of black holes and nothing else, you know, any future inhabitants might look back on the time with stars and just see our time as almost an afterglow of the Big Bang or something. So just just like Betamax, Tamagotchis, Pokemon cards yeah, and stars. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, like dating te- <laughs> dated technology. Gone a little bit by the wayside. It's a weird thing to imagine. Thank you so much, Matt. There's just time to squeeze in another listener question. And it's one I've always wanted to know about. And the question is, what is a neural network? It's something I've heard only in places like Star Trek. Data, the android in Star Trek, he had a neural network. But in the real world, what actually is it? Well, luckily, this show has an AI expert on the panel. Beth? A neural network is basically a layering of algorithms that are all in connection with each other so that the output of one algorithm then becomes the input on another layer. It's a connectionist approach. And the aim of the neural network is to sort of replicate the architecture of the human brain. So the neurons and the synapses that we're familiar with. So the thinking is that if everything is computable, a big if, but some something proven by Alan Turing after Alonzo Church, then the substrate, what the brain is actually built of, whether it's fleshy meat stuff or silicon, might not actually matter. But what might matter is the architecture of the human brain, the connections between the synapses and the neurons and how they how they interact and flow to each other. And this is what neural networks are trying to replicate. Now, there are many uses of neural networks, um, including um, basically assessing complex data relationships and doing pattern recognition, as we see in computer vision, in the control of systems like automated cars and in artificial assistants that can learn how to respond to us and learn our preferences. A current interest um, in neural networks is in using it to recognize and diagnose COVID-19 in patients' lungs MRIs. However, neural networks can sometimes learn to look for the wrong things in data or they can express biases that were already present in the data set. And this can lead to very negative or unexpected outcomes. And thanks to Beth for giving us that answer. Right. I think, Phil, the time has come. Would you be able to do us the honour of revealing the final scores? Can I please get a gentle radio drum roll? Yes. Excellent. Contributors, drum roll, please. (laughs) All right. Team number two have got five points. And team number one have got 12 and a half points. So... Many congratulations. Ooh, that is a, re- that is a resounding oh, team man. one. <laughs> Our winning team, Liliana and Matt, how, how do you feel about pulling that win out of the bag? 
I am I am delighted that you know I could play it first of all with Matt. I'm so sorry about the rhinos, Matt. I will remember <laughs> that now forever. <laughs> that is a snack I, of it, jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> in my yeah I, I didn't actually know the answer i was just i was just i was trying to outthink the people that write the quiz <laughs> and and how do you feel you've you've broken a streak now matt you, you've do you feel sad that that streak is gone somehow yeah i'm, I'm gonna look back fondly on my uh on my losing days but uh, yeah it's, it feels nice to win i think i could get used to this wonderful and beth and olivia Absolute commiserations. How do you feel? And, and, do you feel? And, and also for an excruciatingly, terribly hard quiz that you triumphed with some incredible answers on. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Were you robbed? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. No, I think I think I learned a lot actually. I think very well yeah, done, me too. team one. Yeah, That's, absolutely. And we had a lot of fun doing it. Yes. Just an excellent attitude. Were there any standout questions for you? I wanted the robot question. <laughs> Noted for next time. I, I did. I did think ahead. Maybe I shouldn't give the robot question to the AI, AI expert. <laughs> Olivia, any for you? I don't know. I enjoyed all the questions. Maybe throw in some mental health questions next time, and then we can upper score a little bit. So, robot yeah, right. questions and mental health. Two specialties. Yes. Give them exactly the questions they want us to give them. We'll keep that in mind. What about you, Matt and Liliana? Any particular highlight questions there for the two of you? I enjoyed the chimpanzee questions. I mean, we didn't get anything right, but, you know, That's what, it was an interesting experiment. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I could do a whole quiz of chimpanzee noises. It was fantastic. <laughs> right, so we will keep that in mind for next month. The questions will be nothing but chimpanzees, exclusively <laughs> chimpanzee noises, and you're going to have to guess... A chimpanzee deciding it's had a bad day getting to work late. Things like that. We're going to make it real weird. <laughs> Adam, I, I have to ask. In that, in that paper, how many other noises were there? Oh, you know what? I don't know, Phil. I, uh, is there a big bank that we can pick from for next quiz? Because that was really good, that. I'm sure there is. But ba- basically, the paper was just that we can determine really clearly that a monkey is being tickled and not just angry. But I think we'll have to look into that a bit more. Absolutely. And we must leave it there. Thank you very much to our contestants for being such great sports. That's chemist Liliana Frook, mental health expert Olivia Reams, AI anthropologist Beth Singler, and astronomer Matt Bothwell. And thanks to you for listening and for playing along at home, and to Adam and Eva, who put the show together. Do join us next week, because as the world tries to rebuild its economy, we're looking to the most urgent need of our era, saving the planet. Find out how on earth we're going to cut emissions, extractions and prevent mass unemployment at the same time. The Naked Scientist comes to you from the Institute of Continuing Education at Mattingly Hall at the University of Cambridge and it's sponsored by Rolls-Royce. I'm Adam Murphy. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.